Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Our scripture for today it comes out of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're in chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, John whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. This is the word of God for us today. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Just heads up. Um, I uh, got back. I was camping with my family and a whole crew of, of friends um, over uh, Friday and Saturday, and we had a blast, but I am fighting off some bug bites. So if you see me indiscriminately scratching my body, that is what is going on. Okay, so we are in week three of a series on the book of Mark, where we are looking at the earliest biography of Jesus' life, um, recorded uh, by a young man named Mark. His account was given to him by Peter, um, the apostle Peter, Simon Peter. Um, and heads up, guys, I have absolutely crammed two sermons worth of material into this sermon. Um, I just got too excited. Um, so if you're a note taker, um, get, get ready. And I would just ask everybody else, um, buckle up uh, and let's give this a shot. And, um, and if you're thinking, man, that that seems like a lot. I know we're just stuck with it this morning. Sound good? Okay, good. All right. So um, the uh, book of Mark opens. So no, no cute joke to start. We just got to go. Um, the book of Mark opens with Jesus um, announcing some things like the other gospels. They start off with um, like a birth story about how did this guy get here or a little bit about him showing up at the temple when he was young, like the book of Luke or John has this grand entrance to Jesus. Mark just gets going. Um, and someone could say that the entire book of Mark is really um, playing out what happens in Jesus' first statement in the book of Mark. Everything that kind of flows from this statement, um, it kind of shapes the, the whole book. It's, it's this becoming reality. So in chapter 1, verse 14, after John the Baptist was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word good news there is often, um, the older word is gospel. Now, where that comes from is in the empire, in the Roman Empire, which was ruling the known world at the time, when a new territory was conquered, 
or when there was a victory on the edge of the Roman Empire, they would send runners throughout the major cities to announce um, the victory uh, of, of the empire, the, the new victory that had taken hold. Um, the, the empire was growing and gaining ground, and that was called a euangelion, an evangelical or a gospel. And, uh, and, and so it is the announcing um, of, of the victory of God that it is expanding in the world. And the first week, Ron talked about how Jesus's identity is revealed by the Father, um, that this is the Son of God, this is God in the flesh, and he's the Messiah and Jesus is the only one that knows this. Him and, a, by the way, a couple of demons that seem to show up. Everybody else has no idea who Jesus is. They're trying to figure him out. The second week, we talked about how he was this walking frustration. He showed up into people's lives. He didn't fit their categories. He didn't fit their boxes of what Messiah was supposed to be like, of what religion was supposed to be like, of what God was supposed to be like. He was, he was quite the difficulty for folks, even the super-religious Jesus was kind of a problem, and uh, what he was saying and, and what he was doing. And then there was this, this storm that Jesus calms, and the disciples kind of have this, whoa, we need to stop and rethink everything. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And we're going to pick up the story right after that in chapter 5. And, uh, and so Jesus kicks everything into fifth gear, and he goes to work into the world to show people what it means that the kingdom of God has come near, that the kingdom of God is here now because he's here now. Um, and so in chapter five, he lands um, on one side of the lake and he runs into this um, man with, a, with an evil spirit. He's possessed. Um, and it says that he had often been chained hand and foot and he tore the chains and broke apart the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. He lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus at a distance, he ran and he fell at his feet in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And Jesus said, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then later the people come out and they find this guy, this man who had been racked with demons, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed, it says, in his right mind, listening to his teaching. The man begs to go with Jesus, but, but Jesus says, no, 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 go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has mercy on you. He, he walks into a community where their best resource for this man, their best attempt at helping him was to chain him. And Jesus ends up setting him free. Um, a little later, there's another man um, named Jairus that comes and it says he fell at his feet. That is person number two that has fallen at the feet of Jesus and says, my little daughter is, is sick. Will you, will you come and help her? And Jesus says, yes. He redirects and on his way there, a crowd like mobs Jesus there's, there's a woman um, that finds her way through the crowd. It says she had been bleeding for 12 years, which means that she would have been put out of the, of the community, that she wasn't allowed to be in the community. She's not supposed to be there. By the law, um, she is illegal. Um, she, she's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it says that she, she reaches out and touches his robe. She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped. 
She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And Jesus stops everything. He starts looking for her. He's not leaving until he finds her. And he says when he, um, when he finds her, she came and fell at his feet. Third person to fall at Jesus' feet. And listen to how he talks to her. This woman who's not supposed to be there. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And then while he's still talking, they, they find everybody and they tell Jairus, your daughter has died. Don't bother Jesus. Leave him alone. Jesus goes to his house anyway and he like elbows his way into the room where this girl's dead body is and, and he kicks everybody else out and he finds her and he, t- he says, he took her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. That's this Aramaic phrase, literally, little, little girl, I say to you, get up. But it, it has this like um, parental sweetness to it. It's like he walks up to this dead body and he grabs her by the hand. He says, honey, it's time to wake up. And he says, he gave strict orders. When she gets up and starts walking around, she was 12 years old. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Isn't that the sweetest detail? Jesus is like, someone make this girl some pancakes. She has been dead. She needs some food. And um, I mean, like, oh my gosh. And, And here, look, Jesus has set loose. I mean, he is a walking wrecking crew for the things that are wrong in the world. And demons pack their bags and run. Death is like, can't stay here. He showed up, right? I mean, people with sickness, they get well. All of the diseases are like, oh my gosh, he's taken over because the kingdom of God has come near. And he's, he's spreading the kingdom of God. It's like, it's like the, the kingdoms of this world are cracking under his feet as he walks into the world. But it's not just what he does. It's, it's not just what he does Apparently, it's also what he says. Chapter 6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Anybody here ever moved away for a few years and then come back home and found the dynamics a little strange? You, you, You go away to college and you move back in and that's great for like four days? You know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It says he came home to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is the wisdom he's been, that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Like, didn't, didn't this guy, like, make me some shelves a few years ago, you know? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and his brother, uh, his brother James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense at him because it's not just what he does, it's what he's teaching that becomes difficult for people. Calling his 12 disciples to him, he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority We'll come back to this a little later, if I remember. Um, over impure spirits, verse 12. And then they went out and preached that people should repent. 
They drove out demons and anointed sick people with oil and healed them. I mean, this is repentance, by the way, is a direction word. It's I was going this way and I have decided that this is not the way I should go anymore because of the good news I've heard. I'm going to change and go this way. What I'd like to do is somewhat quickly talk about three ways that people try to incorporate Jesus into their life. And there are good pieces of each of these, but they often miss important other pieces. And that ends up being a challenge to their entire way of following Jesus. So if we can kind of just hop on things here a little bit. Um, Now, some people, uh, what they fall in love with um, is that God or, or Jesus is shown as relevant. And I, when I say relevant, I don't mean like the, um, the person who's trying too hard to be relevant. I don't mean like the fat 50-year-old pastor who's trying to wear ripped skinny jeans to look cool, right? I'm not talking about that. Uh, I'm just talking about like he is on the edges of society trying to right wrongs. He is finding the things that are broken out there in the real world and get to work at those things. Um, and people that see this, that fall in love with this part of who Jesus is, um, that he's ministering to the demon-possessed, to this woman who shouldn't be even allowed to be in this society, uh, to, the, to the person um, who's, who's lost their life, and, and to this family that's been impoverished by, by death. Um, he's incredibly relevant, and they fall in love with this, and they work um, to be with the hurting. They take their cue from Jesus and they get to work in the world to be with those who need it. I'll bet you know someone like this that has fallen in love with that part of Jesus and they get to the edges and they find the lost, the least, the left out like Jesus did and they get to work out there. And they see the problem in the world as systems of injustice. Because what tends to happen is when you get close to these people, you notice that there are entire systems at work in society that are creating problems for these people and even preventing health, healing, wholeness, restoration. Like I know some guys um, that have gone to work in in the prison ministry in, in our church. And one of them said to me one day, you know, there's not a lot of justice in the justice system. Well, how did he learn that? He got close, right? And there are things that should change. But now here's the deal. When we grab this as beautiful and important and essential as it is, and we make it the only ingredient in following Jesus, there are things that get forgotten. And there's things that get left out. Often what this forgets, what these folks can forget, is to be distinct. Distinct, there we go. Is that, is that the right word? This, and the distinct um, words of Jesus. I'm going to run into that box. That Jesus shows up and he says things that are distinctive to him. He sets clear boundaries about how he teaches. He directs people to himself. And, and often it is easy to get, work in, to, to get at work in the world and to end up adopting the world's value system. Because we are out 
uh, in the world, trying to be relevant to it. And then we can end up adopting the way that the world tries to solve problems, tries to see things. And then the problem is, is that we end up not having anything to offer the world because we have become just like it. And we've started to think the way that the world thinks. And what, what needs to be remembered here is that we're talking about the kingdom that has come here. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just that God is, is at work in the world. It's that he's setting up his kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. He is going to reign and rule. He is not setting up a democracy. He is not setting up a world where everybody gets a say. He is not setting up a world where we adopt the world's values and everyone's just nice to each other because niceness is nice and that's nice. He is coming because he's the rightful king of the universe. And whatever he says is right and good. And we accept and receive the boundaries that he gives us like a good parent. Um, in Jesus' world, maybe this took uh, the turn of um, there were people that saw the hurting that the Roman Empire was putting on their society. Um, for example, the Roman Empire could pretty much indiscriminately execute people, right? And there were people that were dying um, and being oppressed and put down. That was a system of injustice. Um, Jesus often confronted systems of injustices, by the way, most often the religious systems, um, people like me. <laughs> um, and, um, but, but someone that saw that, um, happening because of Rome, uh, there was a group called the Sicarii. And what they decided is to fight for those who were being oppressed, they were going to start assassinating Roman soldiers. Now, interesting, that what they saw was wrong in the world was the indiscriminate killing of people. And so to solve that problem, what did they do? They started indiscriminately killing people. And without even noticing it, they became like the world that they were trying to help. And when you're like it, you can't offer anything to it. You have to be different than it to have something to offer. In our world today, maybe that takes a little different look. I was uh, listening to a podcast um, of, a, um, of a group that calls themselves a, a Christian church. Um, won't, won't name them, that's all right. And they were leading their people through a, um, an, a reflection exercise. Okay, now, now check this out. Um, this is the, you're speaking to their people. They say, we obsessively search and seek for outside resources to tell us the path, to tell us what to do, where to go, who to be. And a huge part of our growth is to unlearn that, to unlearn that we need outside resources to help us. This is, this is a part of what they wanted the people to, um, to repeat. Your knowing is good because you are good. Your desire, your discernment, your call, your choice, your whim, and your need are good. Your internal navigation system can be trusted because it was given to you by a trustworthy source. So you can follow your lead. Do you hear it? That is the value system of the world that they're trying to love. They're trying to be relevant to. But they have been shaped by it. The gospel isn't you're fine. The gospel is that the rightful king of the universe loved you so much that he is our outside resource. 
and has come to save us from the mess that we've gotten ourselves and each other into. The next thing that they did was they went and they prayed for the shooting that had happened in in the grocery store in Buffalo. It wasn't lost on me, though, that that day, the shooter's whim was to go kill those people. His internal navigation system was to go kill those people. But was it good? Can he trust it? When we adopt the world's way of thinking, we have nothing to offer. So what do we do with that? There are people, maybe in a different way, that what they love about Jesus is that he gives identity. I apologize ahead of time for misspellings. I don't have autocorrect on this. You know. um, he gives identity. Jesus teaches and gives, like I said, he, mentioned, he gives clear boundaries for living, for believing. Identity is all about the boundaries. How we know that something is that thing, it's identity, how I know that's a chair, is that it has boundaries. And when I sit on it, those boundaries kick into effect and my butt doesn't end up on the floor, right? That's how boundaries work. How I know you are you is that you have a boundary to you. That's what gives you your identity, right? And and that's what separates us. And and often people remember this, and this identity that Jesus was proclaiming was part of what was driving people nuts. This guy thinks he's like in charge around here, right? And I thought he was just a carpenter. Isn't that his sisters outside, you know, and his brothers and James and Joseph, and isn't his mom Mary? Surely he doesn't think that he's all that. But but the king of the universe has come like to plant the flag and say that I'm bringing my kingdom here. And so these people, often what they're good at is they're good at the boundaries. They're good at our beliefs. They're good at right ways of living. They're good at ways of being holy. This is right. This is wrong. Um, and, and what this group works to is to be distinct from the world. We can't be like the world. We have to be different than it if we're going to offer something. Um, But then um, they, they often see the problem is individual sin. Which is correct. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And when we're not distinct from the world, we end up adopting patterns of sin in our life. That's all right and good in of itself. But what this group can tend to forget is the mission of Jesus. That Jesus is at work out in the world. He's finding people that are demonized and are illegal and are hurting and are breaking the law and caught in sin. And he finds people who believe different things than him and he throws parties with them. He lets women who are sex workers come and touch him. He, he finds folks that shouldn't even be in the crowd and he calls them daughter. You know what Jesus does with sinners and failures? is he cooks them breakfast. 
I mean, this guy, he's always like on the edge finding the lost, the least, and the left out. And this can get forgotten by people that are only focusing on boundaries. That makes sense, right? And what this group needs to remember is that the kingdom is here. The kingdom of heaven has come near We are not escaping this world ever to go to heaven for eternity. God is bringing heaven here for forever. He is redeeming this world to make it right. And he invites us into that mission right now. Now, here's the thing is that these two groups can often go to war with each other and they can fight each other. And they can say, we should be relevant. No, we should have identity. We should be with the hurting. We should be distinct from the world. We should focus on systems of injustice. No, we should talk about individual sin. Now, here's the thing. Which one of these did Jesus do? Both. He was like a both and sort of dude which was really frustrating then and is kind of frustrating now. And part of what we can do is mature and add the and of both focusing on relevance and identity. That the uniqueness of Jesus in the cross is that he can hold both of those together at the same time which is incredibly challenging to do. But we want him to fit in one system or the other. Um, Someone who is so much smarter than me, and I wish this quote was mine, um, but it's not, so I have to, because this is going on the internet, and you could Google it and find out I didn't come up with it. I'll tell you who said it. Um, Tony Evans said he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And our job isn't to fit him into which side do we want him in. It's to let him take over. Now, he is distinct from the world. He did not rise up the the disciples' authority within themselves. You have the authority in you. Find it. Oh, it's going to feel so good. It says he gave them authority. Authority came from him, his distinctness. And so what did he do? Then he sent them out into the world. The early church was this extreme enigma. It was like this melting pot of ethnic groups and social classes, and it was, which is often associated over here. And the early church had this incredible countercultural sexual ethic, among other things. In the Roman world, where there were really no boundaries and kind of anything went, um, That didn't fly in the early church, no. God gave us, for example, sexuality to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Now, that was incredibly countercultural, and it gave boundaries, and there was this incredible relevance. The, the, The early church had this incredible value for the sanctity of life. We talked about a few weeks ago, the unborn, um, the newly born, the elderly, the disabled. Uh, There was was a massive um, uh, commitment to nonviolence in the early church, um, often associated over here. um, But there was immense relevance um, to go out and care for the lost, the least, and the left out. This is a part of what turned the Roman world upside down. It doesn't stop there, though. Maybe the group that I'm the most concerned about is over here. Because when this starts happening, word gets out, and it gets to a guy named Herod. 
Um, Herod's dad was Herod the Great, um, extremely successful, horrible person, right? Um, killed three of his own sons because he thought they were threatening his, his power. Um, Caesar said it is better to be a pig than a child of Herod um, because he was that ambitious. Um, and when he dies, his kingdom gets divvied up and uh, he's working for Rome and he gives it uh, ch- a chunk of it to his son, Herod Antipas. Now, um, let's just take a look at his Instagram account for a few selfies here. Um, this, here's, here's Herod Antipas. Um, obviously, we don't know what he looked like, um, but there's one uh, attempt. Here's another one. Um, doesn't he look like a party? Um, and, uh, or here's, hold on, here's his Tinder profile pic. Um, he's got the smolder going on there. Um, obviously, we don't know what he looked like. No one liked Herod, though. Rome didn't like him. His own people didn't like him. And when... When the words of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus and his apostles hit Herod, it says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. Still others have claimed he's a prophet in the line of prophets from long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. This who is this guy that is going on in the book of Mark? This gets to Herod also. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Apparently that was news. Herod is an interesting guy because he is deeply Jewish. That's why he is, has the job he has. And he is working for Rome. He helped build the temple that the people use. And he executed John a prophet. And he has figured out how to keep religion in a spot, God in a spot where God is helpful to him. I want our society to have a general sense of ethics. I want our people to have a, a, like a connection, you know, through shared ideas, like a place to worship. I think weddings and funerals are important, so we should, have, we should have something get in on that. He went to worship on a regular basis. Religion to him was helpful. And, and, it, and it, works, it works to keep stability. I need to keep this helpful idea about God in this box because I have these other boxes. For example, I want to have in my bedroom who I want to have there. And if it's my brother's wife, that's just going to be fine. And I don't want anybody telling me different, right? And and the problem here um, is when I lose control of my life. When these different segments of my life like start to break into each other. Now, I could imagine that in... um, In a society like ours where there has been overlap, uh, more so in the past than now, between at least some stated values between the current culture and, and, and the church, that religion found a very helpful place in many of our lives. Maybe there's someone here and you have a business and it's helpful to show up at church so people see you and to get to know them. Maybe you're a parent and it's helpful to have someone give values to your to your kid. 
Maybe it's, it's helpful to think about life after death and to have like a, a nice sense of things in the world and, and the universe. And God, believe me, I think he wants to help us. But in our life, he is not essentially helpful. He's Lord. He's Lord. And what this can tend to forget is the gospel of God. That we did not have it in us to save ourselves. We needed someone outside of us who loves us to come and save us and to bring his kingdom right here. And what, what Jesus offers these and what his disciples did when they went out is the chance to repent and believe the good news that you're not the king that he is. And that is really good news because we see who he is in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I imagine, I'm kind of hoping I've like stepped on everyone's toes at some point today. Here's the thing. When Jesus gets turned loose in the book of Mark, the good news is that he doesn't fit our categories. He, he is relevant and he gives identity Yes, he is helpful, but his job is not to help us with his project. He loves you, so he wants to help you in your life, but he is inviting you into his life and into his mission. And so um, maybe what I'd like to invite us uh, to do and to take some time to reflect on is how can we today, you today, not, not the person that you wish had heard this message because there's one part of it that pertains to them, but you, how can you respond? As it, as it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Whether, whether we're talking about engaging in systems in the world that are wrong and that that's what's needed or whether we're saying, today I have sin in my life contrary to God's direction and will that I need to repent of. I have boxed up my life into too many categories and I've tried to do the, the God thing where the God thing happens and I've tried to live the way I want to where everything else happens and it's time to just let him take over, whatever it is. We're just gonna take some time and, uh, and work on that together before we leave. So let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that um, I talked too much in too short a period of time. Um, so there's that. But Lord, I'm praying that your spirit is at work, um, either in spite of me or through the words that have been said. And that our work would not be to make you like we want you, but to let you make us like you want us. So Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts to be 
offended in a good way, to be challenged. So that we could respond to you. Thank you, Jesus. We just, I guess at the end of the day, I just want you, and I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss you, Jesus. I don't want to make you like I want you. I just want you as you are. God, we need you. Jesus, we want to be with you. So set up your kingdom among us and in our own lives. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.